Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, thank you for tuning in. Divine Nobody's Podcast. How are you doing, Jen? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. Or otherwise, what they usually do on Instagram, which is, hello, my beautiful people. Oh. Hello to you. It's like a proper introduction, you know? It's like saying namaste. Or, or like sat nam. Lighten me says lighten you. You know what I mean? You know what I've noticed with YouTube videos is everybody starts their video with, hey, guys. Hey, hey guys. guys. Yes. Everyone says, hey, guys. Well, they do this thing where they're kind of looking away and they pretend like the camera's not, not like running. And then they go, oh, hey. Oh, hey. Hey, I'm just sipping here with my coffee. You know, what's going on, guys? Go on, my beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we have an amazing show today, Jen. We got a guest in. We got a guest in. And she's actually from a different planet. Well, not a different planet, but she's somewhere far, farther away from where we are. Yeah. That's she for sure. sure. Is. Maria. And British Columbia. Do you know where British Columbia is on the map, Jen? I do. You do? Yeah. I bet, you know what, though? I bet they have really good coffee there. I don't know. We'll have to ask. I don't remember. I had coffee I like there. Peop- I think it I was like just people like that normal. drink British Columbian coffee know what's up, you know? Yeah. They're like those elitist coffee drinkers that go into Pete's and make their orders all complicated and shit. Yeah. It, are you thinking Columbia? Like, are you associating that with coffee? Yeah. Well, yeah. of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what's going on. Anyway, thank you guys uh, for joining us. We've got a good show lined up. We're going to go ahead and introduce her here. We have Maria Jewswin. Jewswin. We had a conversation right before the podcast, and apparently I butchered it. I didn't do it right. It's Jewswin. No, it's Jeswin. <laughs> oh, Jeswin? See, I did it again. I, I messed it up again. Oh, oh man. man. Okay. So Maria And she's going to say it in Polish too. So we're going to, yeah. we're going to let her tell us. You know, I'm going to ask her, I'm going to be like, hey, Jews want to hang out with us today? Yeah. (laughs) You like that? It's funny, right? Okay. So, Mm -hmm. so Mary Jews, 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 yeah. (laughs) Guide star seeds and light workers to discover their authentic selves and creates lives that are in alignment with their destinies. Having gone through this journey herself, she walked away from a a stereotypical dream life. Those are always good stories. She left her marriage, her six figure corporate career and moved across the country to a small mountain town. Through her first-hand experience working with the divine in her own inner knowing, Maria learned to embody her true self and courageously creating a fulfilling life. Over the years, she has guided many seekers to recognize and love who they truly are and live into an expansive version of themselves. And we talked to her over the podcast, and this is a little different. She's not a life coach. Well, maybe she is a life coach, but she put a very unique spin on it, which is she is a heart guide. You ever met a heart guide, Jen? I haven't. This is my first one. Yeah, everybody's out there with their life coaches and all that whole stuff, and we got a heart guide with us. A heart so guide. You, you called it, what, a cardiologist of a, the soul. That's right. Cardiologist of the spirit. Yep. Yeah. How you doing, Maria? <laughs> I am doing so well. Thank you for the warm welcome. Don't worry about my last name. It's a <laughs> tough one <laughs> to pronounce. I love your reflections on British Columbia. We are not known for our coffee. We are known for our mountains. (laughs) But I'll take it. I love it. What would you say they're known for down there in British Columbia? More so our mountains and and the ocean and lakes and rivers and our our nature, pretty much. Yeah. I went online um, 
I'm always curious as to where some of our guests come from. And you, you live in Squamish? Squamish. In Squamish. That's an interesting name, right? I like that. There's yeah. a lot of firsts today. And I looked and it's beautiful there. It's stunning. It's just north. If you know where Vancouver is, um, it's just north of Vancouver, up the mountain. And it's a pretty small town, population of 20,000, but absolutely gorgeous. Huge for mountain biking, climbing, uh, lots of extreme sports happening all around. Ooh, yeah. it is pretty. I just looked it up. Little known fact, we, uh, my husband is actually not welcome in Canada. Oh. When we were there, we, were, we went to Banff rented a car and you know the speed limit is in kilometers and we do miles per hour here so we had no idea how fast we were going and got pulled over and got a ticket and then lost the ticket and came back to the U.S. and had no idea how to pay for it so pretty sure that he has a warrant (laughs) in Canada so it's like no more universal health care for you yeah so maybe we'll touch base after the after the podcast and you can tell us how how to where to go to pay it hope you can find this ticket so that the next time you come to Canada, you're not welcomed with a huge, even bigger fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> quadrupled or even more than that. Oh, yeah, because this was like two years ago. This was oh. like way pre-COVID. Yeah. So, oh, so they know. it's probably they pretty hefty. Yeah. We'll, not, we'll still welcome you both in. Don't, <laughs> don't worry. We're nice up here. We'll, we'll welcome anybody in. Oh, Us, I've heard yeah. nothing but good things about the Canadians. I did notice it was really beautiful there. And for somebody on like that spiritual path that you are, it seems like the best place for any sort of conversation with God to happen. You know, when I was young, I spent a lot of time in like these really, really remote areas of Arizona. And I know one thing that happened to me is I was just in these fields around these trees in monsoon season. And it's just like a direct conversation between you and God. Do you feel that where you're at? Yeah, it's definitely what brought me out here to the West Coast. I used to live in the East Coast in Toronto, which is very urban, busy, Mm. kind of like a mini, mini New York. Mm -hmm. And Once I took more of an active role in my spiritual journey, I felt very, very connected with nature and that only being the place where I would find the most amount of peace. So moving out here and living amongst mountains, I'm five minutes away from a river that I swim in every morning. I feel so much more grounded and connected with spirit for sure, it's, there's there's less noise around me, so I can hear spirit that much more strongly, I feel like. Oh, mm, I awesome. love that. One thing I wanted to get into first, we'll start at the beginning here, because uh, I'm always really interested in these stories where you go from, you know, one seemingly sort of hectic place, um, I guess in your scenario, would be a six-figure income where you're living a certain way, maybe you're in a relationship, and then you go from living the life of basically the hermit card in Tarot. So walk us through kind of how that went about for you, how that sort of spiritual journey unfolded. Mm, Yes, thank you for asking. Um, I definitely did not think that I would end up where I am today. I put many, many years into creating um, a life that is supposed to bring you happiness. So I created a career, worked my butt off in the business world, like I said, was making really great money, traveling the world. Um, grinding it out, very focused on the superficial, on the materialistic parts of my life. I then also got married to someone who checked all the boxes, um, was very much my dream man in many ways. And being in that life, 
I continued to be unhappy and I continued to be unfulfilled and I was really confused as to why. And I remember there was a day when I woke up and I felt very depressed. I felt very unhappy and I approached my husband and I shared with him, I feel so sad, so depressed and I don't understand why. Look at our life, look at my life. It, it, it seemingly looks so great. And that evening, I actually found out that I was pregnant, which for me in my mind was the last missing piece to my equation. I'm like, I have everything I want now. The last piece is a child and then the dream is complete. And what unfortunately ended up happening was that I miscarried, but my miscarriage ended up being one of the biggest gifts of my life because it completely transformed how I saw the world. It took me onto my spiritual path and I ended up going to... When I had miscarried, I was absolutely crushed. Like you can imagine, I was already in a really low place, found out I was pregnant, went into this high of like, this child is gonna bring me happiness, everything's going to be great. Lost the child, crashed even further. And I actually ended up going to see an intuitive, a psychic medium. And what she shared with me was, it's not your time yet, there is more that you need to do. And she couldn't have been more correct and more accurate. Um, what ended up happening was I went to my first moon circle. I got certified in energy healing. I started working with a soul therapist of really uncovering my inner truth, my connection to spirit, my connection to the divine. And in that work that all started from my miscarriage and, and just trying to find purpose and meaning and realizing that a child would not bring me happiness. That's not the role of a child. I really discovered who I was. And in the discovering of who I was, I started to realize how much of my life was out of alignment with me and my truth. And that I was actually living in a way that was based a lot on the wounding of my own childhood. So I had been brought in with the intention of making my mother happy, of making my mother feel unconditionally loved. And I was recreating that. So all of this took place. Became I started the spiritual journey of mine, saw that my life was out of alignment and realized that the relationship that I was in was actually pretty toxic and unhealthy and very much mimicked. The dynamic that I had in my household as a child. Oh, crazy how it does that. Yeah. Mm. Just what, so the child was the it. child supposed to heal. You were expecting the, the birth of this child to sort of heal and fix the toxicity or the, the issues that you were having in your relationship, right? Mm. In some ways, for sure. In some and ways. Yeah. So when you were going through all this and you started to kind of get in touch with spirit, um, was your husband still around at that time? And how was he, how was he taking these changes? Because I've, I've found that spouses don't always understand. No, it definitely freaked him out. He was concerned and my ex is psychic, but he doesn't really do anything with those skills of his. So I feel like he already knew on some level where this was headed, mm -hmm. but it made him really uncomfortable. But he was also doing his best to be open and try and learn with me and integrate some of the lessons that I was I was learning, but the distance kind of got a little bit too big between us in that journey. 
And it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the distance that our relationship didn't work. There was a lot going on in it, um, but it was very much a part of it for sure. That's one thing that I notice about relationships, um, even outside of your, your circumstances, that especially when it comes to the spiritual journey is people have some sort of experience, maybe it's through plant medicine, maybe it's through meditation, maybe it's through a really traumatic experience, like losing a loved one or something. And that sort of catapults them in the way that the, you know, the death of your, your baby did. And sometimes your partner ends up, you end up growing sort of apart from your partner spiritually. And that's one thing that I see. That's one thing that I've experienced in myself. Sometimes you just drift away and you either grow together or you don't. And then in this situation, you guys, it sounded like you kind of parted ways. Yeah, I feel like sometimes these really big events that happen in our relationships or in our lives, um, and especially when you are coupled with someone, really brings to the surface what's already there that you haven't really wanted to look at or heal or deal with. And because it's such an intense explosion and shocking, you don't really have, you don't have it all together while you're dealing with it. So your emotional truth comes to the surface as does theirs. And yeah, you're then presented with all of this messiness, if you want to call it that, to look at and, and either work through or, or not, or try and work through and it, it not help and, and choose to go your separate ways. You know, it looks different for everyone. And this seems sort of like a, the quintessential sort of twin flame relationship, right? Oh, yeah. Because that, I, I'm exactly coming from my like. experience too, right? Where I've gone in relationships where I was trying to recreate or heal, you know, old childhood wounds. My father and my mother, they had this sort of like typical sort of codependent relationship based off of trauma. And me and Jen, we talk about this all the time. It's like, you know, if you don't get your validation from at least one of those parents and they're emotionally unavailable, then there's a really, really big chance that you're going to go looking for an emotionally unavailable partner in order to try and heal those wounds. And inevitably that doesn't work. But I, I noticed like those sort of twin flame relationships have the ability to rattle you so, so deeply. But at the same time, you know, there is a lot of wreckage, but like that's a sort of story of the Phoenix where you kind of come out of that being this beautiful person. Yeah. That's something that we talk about a lot to the twin flame and the um, soulmate, right? So soulmate often means soul grind. We had somebody on our on our podcast like way in the beginning that talked about this, about how much you learn from your soulmate. And sometimes you meet your soulmate, but it doesn't mean you're supposed to be together. You know, it's just your soul grinding through these old patterns that you've had with them in the past. Yeah, I love that. Whenever I talk about soulmates, I think of soulmates as almost our soul family that we come into this lifetime or multiple lifetimes with and help heal our karma together, right? And everyone mm -hmm. could be switching roles. Sometimes they might be your partner. Sometimes they might be your child or your neighbor or a teacher or something like that. And it's very much so they're such critical people in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, they really are gifts in a way that, that you connect together, that you get to do this work. It doesn't feel like it in the moment, especially when you're in a relationship that's not working or if you have a pretty... Um, charged dynamic with someone in your life but if you can look at them as teacher as teachers and as here to guide you or redirect you then and without necessarily all the emotion telling the story it definitely helps in 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 that growth that we're here to do yeah it reminds me of like um, barbara messiniak springers of the dawn she says we have this sort of like this star family that we choose to incarnate with, you know, like my partner that, you know, broke my heart when I was 15 could have been my cat, 
you know? And there's this interesting familiarity that you have with certain partners, even if it's in, based in trauma, you know? There's something familiar about this. I feel like I've been in this place before, you know? And Wayne Williamson, um, uh, what else you were talking about was Marion Williamson kind of talks about the sacred relationship, which is, you know, I guess a sacred relationship would be the same as finding a partner that is able to mirror you, both your good aspects, but also your, your bad aspects, you know? Like someone that can be a, a, authentically a mirror to show you all the things that you need to work on and all the things that prevent you from accessing that love, you know? So you mentioned something on your, um, your, pot, your, your Instagram, which I, I saw the other day, and it was um, a video where you said that you had contemplated taking your life if you had ever lost your partner. And I can only imagine what it must feel like to be at that point and coming to this conclusion in your mind. What was going on during that time? Yeah, so one of my biggest fears and perfectly coincides with my biggest karmic lessons is learning to be alone and having a fear of being alone. So when I was in my relationship and we had moments where things were not working out and I was really feeling disconnected from my partner and then I would envision, okay, well, what if we were to split or what if he were to pass away one day or what if he were to leave me? what would I do? And I would be overwhelmed with the sense of terror of I couldn't do it. I could not, I felt like I could not survive on my own and that I would end up taking my life. I was so scared of being with my own loneliness that I, I really let it skew some of my decisions. And I could probably argue in a way that I probably also ended up in this marriage out of my fear of being alone. Yeah. So obviously that's a very, very different contrast to where you're at right now, right? So what are some things that you learned about now being alone post-relationship and having substantial amounts of time in British Columbia and Squamish to sit with yourself? In retrospect, when you think back of your relationship, what are some things that you learned about? Hmm, I love that? that question. So one thing that I always tell people is run towards your fears because they are your biggest liberators. And I didn't really run towards my fear. I did choose to be alone um, and it was terrifying. But in that process, I discovered my own strength. I discovered my own capabilities, how much I could actually trust myself and trust my inner knowing and trust my own heart to guide me and know that I would be okay. I had to learn not everything from the start. I was still a functioning adult, but there were a lot of things that I needed to start doing on my own without the support of my partner by my side. My family lived in Poland so and still do, so I didn't have them to really lean on either. And in that and in actually just allowing myself to be in my loneliness and feel the emotions of abandonment, of fear, of all the times I felt that way as a child, it actually allowed me to clear some of it and then see, okay, wait a second, I can feel all of these things and still still feel accomplished in some ways, still feel happy, still have moments of joy. Um, it was really the being with the loneliness that was the catalyst for, for my own growth and my own self-love because it's kind of like I skipped over the self-love part and just went from, you know, being, being with my parents, being with other partners, and then going into a marriage instead of having that time on my own to, 
to grow and heal and discover who I actually was. Yeah. I love, I, I personally, we talk about this all the, all the time too. I'm married, but I loved being alone and, uh, living by myself and, uh, you can probably attest to this, how clean your house is all the time. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's definitely perks to being alone. Um, but I had a question for you because you talk to so many people who are have similar situations to you or going through a divorce. So um, is there a common thread that you see like a common mistake that people are making right after they get divorced? Yes. I don't want to call it a mistake, um, but it's very much so a natural thing, but it can make or break your entire divorce experience. And that is thinking that this is happening to you instead of for you and being in the victim mentality of, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, I never wanted this. I married for forever. And now here's this massive failure that I'm experiencing in my life, um, woe is me. And I'm saying that with the utmost love and compassion. I went through it myself. And I think everyone is also entitled to be in that energy for a little while, like feel the pain of it. Yeah, it's a mourning period. Yeah, 100%, you have to mourn it. But then it comes to a point where it happened. It happened, if you can reframe it and start seeing it as a gift, to you and that this will take you to a better place in your life to a stronger sense of self-worth of independence of whatever it is that you desire it will very much transform your entire experience because some people will wear you know they say like a scarlet letter like some people will wear the the divorce stamp on themselves for the rest of their lives and then identify that that is who they are but it's not who you are it's what it's just something that happened to you that can really transform your life in in some very very beautiful ways yeah i think that it's interesting how um identification is a really really big one what what made me think of when you were talking about loneliness is uh kind of what i read from osho which is there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness right so loneliness is sort of like this codependent need for something external from yourself and aloneness is that that time you spend on your own and I can relate to this because I've been in relationships where um, starting from when I was young and you just hop from relationship to relationship and you think that's a good thing because that's what you should be doing. I'm a Libra, so I'm a romantic. I romanticize how that whole thing's supposed to play out. And one thing that I noticed off of actually you know, several breakups over time and finally saying, you know what, I'm just going to spend a year, two years on my own getting to know myself. I realized that you never ever really give yourself the time to get to know yourself if you're always in the intensity of getting to know somebody else. And so I think a large part of our culture kind of teaches us to externalize our happiness and go after things, but they don't necessarily tell you how to sort of cultivate that within and then naturally sort of exuberate that energy in order to attract what you want. It's an interesting thing how we identify ourselves with other people and we sort of latch onto that, you know? And it's scary. I, I think about, you know, the millennials and the younger generations, how everyone is so connected and you're really never alone. You can pick up your phone and, you know, the, communicate with anyone at any time. And it just wasn't that way when we were younger. I mean, you kind of had to, had to spend some time by yourself. What I really love also is about the word alone. It also is all one. Right. Ooh, and I like, oh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. When you spend that time alone, And if you can do it in a way where you're giving yourself presence and 
feel the connection that you have and the access that you have to love all around you. We are conditioned and taught that love comes from another person. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, through the Disney movies, through so many different examples of that, that we then think that that's the only way to receive love. But love is around us in every single moment. Mm-hmm. You take a walk in nature, you see love everywhere. Just looking mm-hmm. at a color can bring you love. It's interacting with an animal is love. There's so many ways that you can bring love into your life and witness the love that is all around you. And that makes me think of how much that correlates also with all one, when you can also be there and realize that you are connected to every single, or I believe this, that you are connected to every single person and, and beyond every single inhabitant of this planet energetically, then you are absolutely never alone. I know that love exists because Ariel, Ariel from Little Mermaid exists, Jen. Okay, she taught me how to be. She taught me how to love. Anyways, that, that's that's really good. That's really. I like the perspective that you're 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 taking because you're saying all one, essentially everything in front of you, around you, everywhere is God. And when we start like looking at the trees, and that's the reason why I love being in nature, because mm-hmm. it doesn't have a story, and it's present with you. And there's not no amount of toxicity or drama that you can project onto a tree where it's ever going to participate and be like, oh, yes, woe is you. No, it's always going to be there and sit with you in the moment that you're in. And there's something really profound and beautiful about it. I want to read a quote that you have on your IG. It says, don't try to be more lovable. Be yourself and allow them to witness how lovable you are. Oh, I like that. Can yeah, you expand good. on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um well, I'm single now and I'm dating and I also have many clients who are single and dating or going through divorces and dreading dating. And there's this perception of you need to be a certain way in order for people to love you, to accept you, to want you. And we are taught this again from a very young age. If you wear the wrong running shoes to school, you might get disincluded from playing with everyone or you might get some extra attention, you know, if they're the latest Nike Air Force Ones or whatever, depending on um, how old you are. So it's reinforced all of the time. And we almost develop these personas within ourselves. Um, Glennon Doyle calls them our PR representatives, like our public relations representatives that we bring out here. And it's the versions of ourselves that we think are the most lovable and are the most attractive. And we walk around with these PR representatives and we connect with other people's PR representatives, but yet we're back here not fully feeling that love because people aren't seeing our our true selves, our authentic selves. They're seeing our PR representatives instead. And that comes from our childhoods and our conditioning and, and what was reinforced to give um, to give us love or what ma- what we think made us lovable. But what that then does when you are dating or in a relationship or just connecting with someone is you feel like you need to be a certain way. And there's a lot of then shame that you carry around your truth, around your quirks, um, around maybe there's aspects of your physical appearance that you carry shame around or your past or whatever it is, or maybe parts of your personality that you were scolded about. And you shut those out. You don't show them. And then you don't feel the loving, the love and acceptance that is available to you if you allowed others to see those parts of yourself. So 
I very much feel that being out there dating, feeling the pressure, having the mental dialogue, the ego pop in and say, you know, oh, you know, you could look better or why did you say that or whatever it is. And I see how less of a connection there is with a person when I play into the persona I think I need to be versus when I walk in tired, messy, and just show my truth. Yeah. They looked up the, the meaning behind persona a while back and they tied it to Shakespearean times and persona is like what the actors on stage used to play. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I like to, uh, the PR thing is, is really great, but I, I see it basically, it's basically another word for the ego. Right. And where you're operating from now, and you can definitely feel that is you're operating from this place of awareness that sees all of those sort of inner workings of the ego happening or as what Carl Jung would consider the sort of collective unconscious or the shadow parts of ourselves. And that's the interesting thing that we're definitely not taught. We're, our society is so polarizing in that, you know, people only want to feel good and they'll sort of put their shadows to the side and not spend any time working on what that is. They don't want to accept it. And what you're saying is, is seems like a more integrated sort of path, which is like you're, you're witnessing and you're able to observe all the different elements of who you are and seeing where you fall short and kind of seeing where it is that you succeed and you're just being authentically you and showing up in that way. What do you think are some things that people nowadays, as far as um, uh, things that they do incorrectly on dates, other things? Mm. <laughs> Ooh, I, can I raise my hand on this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a long list, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a long list. And I, 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 I've never been divorced, so I, you're much better person to answer this, but I feel like there's a pretty delicate balance whenever you come from a divorce or, or any type of long relationship or intense relationship. It doesn't even have to be long and jumping back into the dating pool a little too soon. You know, um, I think that there's a, a lot more damage that can be done there, mostly because you're just trying to fill this void, right? You're trying to either replace your ex or you're trying to find someone else so you can show your ex that you're moving on, or you're just trying to numb the pain. I mean, there's so there's so many different so many different reasons why a person would jump in a little bit too soon, um, and and that's a little off topic. But um, anytime anytime you're coming from that place of desperation, that's whenever you really start to fuck up on dates and really start to put up those red flags and scare the other person. <laughs> and you know what? I've, every date that I've been on that's been like that, they know. They know. They know. Yeah. And you know, you're doing from. it. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty yeah. of this. I've done this in the past, you know, gone out and dated too soon. And I'm like, oh my God, he must think I'm a psycho. What <laughs> <am> I doing? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Coming out of my divorce, I look, it th- I think it took me two months before I jumped on the dating apps. I was like mm-hmm. freaking out. I just, I, I had this perception that I would go back into the dating world, that there would be a hundred men waiting for me because they've been waiting for me this entire time on some energetic <laughs> level. Like when is Maria going to be single? Oh my gosh, she's ready. And then, <laughs> and then I would have my pickings and that is not how it went. The universe blocked me so hard. They, I couldn't match with people. It barely happened. Nobody wanted to spend time with me. I felt even more rejected until I finally saw that there was a lesson being taught and I put the apps away, I put dating away and I just spent time with myself and faced, faced my pain and faced my fear. So, oh man, a universe relate. cock block. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Totally. Like, nope. Totally. <laughs> oh, that, that's so crazy. What, what is it that you, you learned from going really, really 
quickly in into that? Like, was it a sort of neediness that you were kind of like drawing yourself into on those dates? Hmm. Well, I didn't even get to the point of going on the dates because I couldn't <laughs> even match with people, right? And I think everyone's guides might be a little bit different. Mine seem to be a bit more intense that they just don't let certain things happen and it happens very quickly. I think, although I did go on dates where I'm sure my my neediness did come through, some interesting things to note, and I would say this to anybody that's dating, is notice what people reflect back to you. So I remember at the beginning when I still had some shame around my divorce, I would then get judged by people I would date about my divorce. They'd be like, oh, you're divorced? Why did that happen? There must be something wrong with you. Um, Or if I was very needy and attached, then I would typically then attract avoidant personalities, (laughs) people who were not available emotionally because they felt that that me kind of wanting to put my claws into them in some way. So... Anybody that's dating, I would really invite you to, instead of thinking that everybody, there's just the wrong people out there, if you can ask yourself, what are these people reflecting back to me about myself? Um, That'll actually help you grow and evolve in the dating process so that you start attracting the types of people that you actually want. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't want to go out with a guy that has um, a fish, has a photo with a fish on (laughs) his um, Tinder profile. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that one. Yeah, the fish and then and the dead animals, like the hunters. Oh, oh the hunter gatherer types. Oh yeah. Anybody that blurs the faces of the people next to them in their profile (laughs) photos, no, no sunglasses. Photo, and you can clearly see that it's a female on their arm that they've cut out. You know, yeah, that's that's my favorite. They were at a wedding or something. They thought it was a nice photo of them. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens for sure. <laughs> you want to go out with the guys that are like standing at the cliff of like a mountain. You know what I mean? Those yeah. are the kind of guys you want. Out here, everybody is doing that because there's <laughs> mountains yeah. everywhere. Everyone's dating profiles is like them climbing a mountain with the most gorgeous scenic backdrop you've ever seen. But then you talk to them and it's just for show anyways. Like maybe they're active, but... <laughs> yeah. You fake it too on the apps, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. So, how do you coach people that are um going through a divorce and maybe um self-soothing with things like shopping or food or promiscuous sex or drugs or alcohol? Um how do you how do you kind of like redirect somebody that is struggling in that way? Mm, yeah, so that's a very clear sign of not wanting to be with your pain, right? Not wanting to be with your grief, with your anger, with your disappointment. Something that I teach and I feel really strongly about is embodying your emotions and setting, almost like creating a container for it. So what I mean by that, if you're not capable or not wanting to just feel your emotions as they come up in the moment, setting some kind of a space for yourself maybe you go into a a room where you're going to be alone uninterrupted set a timer for five minutes 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes an hour depending on what you need and put on some music 
and just allow yourself to kind of start with moving your body in whatever way might you, you might feel intuitively called to because maybe your emotions aren't at the surface at that point. So moving your body, moving your hips really helps move the emotion through and allow it to come to the surface and then allow yourself to feel. So if you have a moment where you're feeling really upset and you're like, I'm going to get that bag of chips out of the cabinet allow that to be your cue or the bottle of wine or whatever it is. Allow that to be your cue of there's something I don't want to feel right now. What if I just take the next 10 minutes to go make space to put on some music, even not put on music, even just lie there for 10 minutes and be in your body and allow whatever to come up to come up. Feeling your emotions is the only way to clear them. You can't disassociate them away. You can't skip over them. You can't focus on the good and then the bad goes away. So for anybody that is feeling like they're having a hard time feeling, mm -hmm. it's prioritize it. And truly, like that might sound a little harsh, but prioritize it. And if you're fearful of doing it on your own, then find some kind of a supportive presence. Someone like me, someone, maybe you go to a men's group or a women's group, um, ask a friend to just hold your hand or be in the room with you or dance with you so that you don't feel like you'll then be completely alone in that. Um, but the biggest piece for that is, um, choosing differently and choosing to feel versus to numb in those moments. I like that. Otherwise so, look for look, find yourself a heart guide. Is a what heart guide. Saying. Hey, you know, cardiologist yeah, you know, of the spirit. Yeah. One thing that I, I research a lot is like near death experiences, right? I'm, I'm and really fascinating to me because it's this sort of, um, question of, you know, life and death sort of working in collaboration with each other. And the one thing that I notice about the near-death experiences, a lot of people have these sort of stories of life reviews that happen after they pass away, mm -hmm. right? This life review where they're going through this, all these different scenarios of where it is that they fell short in life while they were alive, you know, all the, all the different amounts of love and, and good things that they did to other people. You're able to, in those moments, feel all of that all at once. And I started thinking of like, what happens when we're in a relationship for a really long period of time, say four or five, six years, and I know what this is like, when that ends, it's, it may not be a physical death, but to me it feels very similar to a type of death, would be an emotional, spiritual death. Because when we're with our partners, we're a certain people, a certain person, and we build ourselves uh, around this person, and even in a healthy way, we collaborate. And our neurons are tied to this person and we get used to that having that person around. And when that suddenly just ends, it's almost like feeling like death, you know? Mm -hmm. And I notice uh, that life review takes place, that life review where you're just sitting and you're giving all of those things attention, all the things that traumatized you about it, all the ways in which you fell short or maybe that you could have showed up in a different way. That's something that's absolutely necessary, um, I think, for growth. And I was reading this study the other day about people... Uh, in their bodies, there's there isn't really a difference between how we physically feel pain and how we emotionally feel pain. There's an area in the brain called the interior insula and interior cingulate cortex. I, it's hard for me to say, Jen. I tried my best. <laughs> and these regions that. are activated when 
people experience experimental like social rejection from peers. And then there was another study where people broke up with actual romantic partners. Basically, the study was like there was this perceived sort of rejection from people and then there was an actual breakup and both of the receptors responded the same way. And so if that physical death is felt and then that emotional death death is felt, it's like pretty much the same thing, right? Same, yeah, same, same. I'm so glad you brought this up because I was thinking about this. We all know that person who is opposite of the person we were talking about before that was trying to numb their pain. We all know that person that just wallows in the pain. And you see this often with um, with the loss of a loved one where um, people just have a really, really hard time getting past that. And I, I don't think that there's an assigned time of how long a person should have or not have to grieve. I mean, everybody has their own process, but there there is a point where it becomes toxic and it becomes toxic to yourself and in your own life and everyone around you. So for those people who can't seem to kind of like move on from that and are just wallowing in in their pain, what is your advice for someone like that? Hmm. Yeah, I think something that happens is people start identifying as like, I am now the widow or I am the divorcee or whatever it might be. And that that happens. So uh, if you're hearing this, this is me confirming that you are not that. It is something that happened to you. And it's understandable to feel like you can't get out of your pain, especially with the ending of a relationship or the death of a loved one. You're mourning a life or a lifetime with someone, whether you were in a romantic relationship with them or not. And my advice would be is first and foremost, there's nothing wrong with you for, for still hurting years and years later. I would again invite setting a container for it where you can feel it to its fullest and to not judge yourself in the process of, you know, I should be over this by now. Um, I actually have, uh, I will call him a man that I've gone on some dates with. Um, and we a recently had a caller, a gentleman caller that we recently had this conversation and he lost his brother to suicide five years ago and his father a few months ago. And we were talking while we were hiking a local mountain here. And he was talking about how frustrated he is that he's still not happy after all of this time. He's like, I remember a time when I was happy, but yet I feel so disconnected from that now. And our conversation was very much so around self-love and self-compassion around that. Like that's, those are some really intense experiences to go through and what I would what I would invite, and I have a very specific relationship with death. I I'm not afraid of death. I don't I don't fear it. I, I feel like it's a transition of of sorts to a different place, a happier place in some ways. But maybe that's an opportunity for this person to also, if you are wallowing in your pain, and I don't want to say wallowing, but if you feel like you can escape your pain, what is it about that experience that's making you suffer? Is it the thought that I will never see them again? Well, then I would invite you to explore ways in which you can reconnect with the person who has passed because there are limitless ways in which you can connect with that soul and they're actually accessible to you, more accessible to you in the spiritual realm than they were in the physical because they're not limited by the physical body. And you can find mediums that can help you connect with them. There's 
so many beautiful books. One that I'm reading right now is called The Journey of the Soul by David Newton. And it actually talks about what happens once people pass and go into soul form, which is really beautiful. And of course, if you feel like you aren't functioning, then then also get get some support around it, right? Find someone that you can talk to, find someone that can help you move some of this through, help you develop a deeper understanding. A lot of the time people will turn to spirituality in these times for meaning. And I'm all for that. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. Reminds me of uh, something that Marianne Williamson says, which is, you know, you don't heal the past by repeatedly recycling the same old wounds through your intellect and thinking about what it is that you could have done during that point because it's it's arbitrary, you can't do it. She says the best way to heal the past is by living in the moment because this is the only place where God operates and moves, you know? So I feel like the best way to sort of move on is to create new experiences for yourself. You're replacing those old traumas by creating new experiences, like rewiring your brain, how to live without this person and to be whole within yourself. And one thing, um, I think that you mentioned this too, Maria, and I read in a book by Byron Katie, which is asking yourself, who would you be without your story? Because it's identification is such a, a such a, a powerful thing because that identification with somebody that doesn't exist anymore is that the that, that pull of the ego is so powerful. And I think that comes from the fear of not wanting to move on or this fear of trying to having to recreate and take accountability for yourself as your own individual person. But once that sort of awareness comes where you're like looking at it and you're asking yourself, well, who would I be without this story? And then you realize that you would still be you, which is a different aspect of you, you know? Yeah, I really like that. That was that was very nice, Eric. Oh, see, you know, sometimes I got nice. some good shit, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Maria, yeah. I was thinking about this too as, as you were talking, um, and it's something that I've seen with uh, friends and family members who have gotten divorced, where there is a divide between the friends and the family. And then you oftentimes will see the more, you know, the ex is trying to turn family members and friends against each other. Uh, how do we stop that from happening? You know, I, I feel like that is almost inevitable, but I feel like there's a way. There's a way that we can prevent this. Well, you can't affect someone else's actions, right? You can't control the actions of your ex. You can't. As much as we want to, they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, a choice that I made coming out of my marriage was my partner and I went into um, therapy together into counseling together for a conscious separation because I knew a lot would come up around asset division and family stuff and he as far as I know was not butchering my name but his family turned their backs to me not everyone but a good chunk of them and it absolutely broke my heart because I wasn't doing this to them there was no intention to harm anyone but yet i was losing a whole family in the process and i remember having a conversation with my partner in therapy about this and the idea came up about or my ex about this the idea came up about him sending an email to his whole family saying you know hello thank you for supporting me um I want you to know that if you feel called to support Maria through this or send her love that you have my blessing because people will feel like there's a loyalty of, Mm -hmm. well, now I can never talk to that person, but if they get the permission, then it, then it gives them the permission to reach out. And although you can't affect your ex's actions, I would say, take the action that you want to receive. So do that with your own family. 
you know, mm-hmm. be like, no matter what, please still show him whatever feels authentic to you, but don't feel like it's disloyal to me because we're both humans. We, who are going through a difficult time and, um, it, it's not fair and it doesn't feel good for anybody to be outcast because of this. I've never heard of, I, I've never heard that term conscious separation. Um, but that's pretty cool. And I like that. that I think a, that that's a great advice. It is a good one. Yeah. Like conscious uncoupling is, um, more of a common way to call. Oh, yeah. I know I said, conscious I have heard separate. that uncoupling. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to not do that after a breakup, right? When the the emotions are are so strong, but it's really unfair uh, for any partner to kind of place their friends in the middle and make them choose sides. You know, obviously that's that's speaking from trauma and things like that. I've experienced that before, and it's definitely not pretty. Mm, Yeah, and and there's also a lot of assuming too, right? When you're going through something with your ex and maybe it was because of their actions or they did something to hurt you. You might assume that they are consciously trying to get friends to push you out, but maybe they're not. Maybe it's actually the experience of the friends and their loyalty that's making them do what they're doing and that your ex is actually not doing not doing anything to create that. So I'm just inviting that as also a potential. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let, me, let me ask you, because I'm a guy, you've been, you said you've been on a few dates and... Um, from a female's perspective, for any guy that's listening that happens to be in the dating pool, that's looking to meet the one, and is looking to explore that. I know that as a man, um, traditionally, we're, we're sort of taught to sort of distance ourselves from things called feelings, right? At least I have. There's something in, in school that's very prevalent. As I get older, I've tapped into more, more of my, my yin and my yang because you know, I feel a lot more balanced now. But I know that vulnerability is a really tough thing for men right? The divine masculine man, right? What are some ways that you feel a man can show up better for the divine feminine woman on a date or even just in relationships? Mm. Well, I think a part of it is owning his own divine feminine within himself, which is the emotional side of him, the, the part that's maybe a little bit chaotic and messy and feels and knowing and accepting that that's a part of every single one of us. We have both within us, right? The yin and the yang, yang is what you, how kind of how you described it. So when you're dating women, we want to feel your heart. We want to see that you are someone that feels deeply, that can go deep with us, that can be present with us, even when we're going through our own struggles, our own pain, our own turmoil. And we also want to see that you have those feelings too, that you are an emotional human and that can be vulnerable because that's where the connection will come, right? People don't connect in, don't people don't connect from all the great things that are happening in their lives. It's the deepest connection comes from our joint suffering our joint pain right i I wouldn't invite people to also consider the past year and a half has probably brought some people a lot closer to one another in that i feel like we're closer as as a species and that's really important and of course that's easier said than done the masculine needs a lot of help in that area um one of my teachers who I love and actually he's LA based. I don't know if you're familiar with John Wineland and the work that he does. Um, okay. So 
yeah. So he, but basically what he always recommends and, and I very much align with this is finding a men's group. If you don't feel comfortable showing that to women yet, then bring it to other men and let them show you that they won't judge you. They won't outcast you, that they won't hold it against you because there is a lot to feel and process, especially if you have not allowed yourself to feel your entire life, that stuff doesn't go away. Right. So to be able to make space to feel it, um, know that we want it as women, but we want it in a healthy way. And it can only come in a healthy way where you're not projecting it at, at us when you can be with your own emotions, feel them fully, allow the anger out, you know, kind of outwards versus forwards, and then come to us with it in a more grounded, um, in a more grounded way. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. The one thing that I, 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 a lot of guys, especially new to the spiritual community, aren't aware of are those men's groups. I mean, they're used to like seeing these goddess circles when they're, you know, all together and they're enjoying sisterhood and stuff like that. And that's something that I had to learn. There's this uh, men's group called Sacred Sons and um, they're online and they do a lot of um, events out here. And being amongst a lot of men, of course, one common thread that I experience in those groups is at the beginning, there's this sort of like, that facade, right? There's that that hard sort of core that you need to break into. And once they realize that they're in a space of non-judgment with a lot of other guys that are going through exactly the same thing that you're going through in relationships with other women, it's 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 interesting to see and beautiful and graceful to see how it sort of unravels, you know, and to have that support from a man is so empowering, but lots of men don't ever really get to experience what that's like, how empowering it is, because it is a feminine type of energy mm-hmm. for sure. But you're, the difference is now you're you're expressing that sort of feminine side to you with a, a bunch of other men that are tapped into that and they're not seeing it as a weakness and it's so empowering and it feels very safe and that vulnerability starts to sort of peek its way through. And one thing that I noticed about these men's group is, you know, in the very same way, you have a lot of wounded sort of um, women with wounded sort of masculine aspects to them as well which is I've been in relationships with women where if I was too emotional or if I tried to express my feelings a certain way, that can be looked at as a weakness, you know? So it's interesting how those polar opposites of two sides, like your masculine and your feminine energy, really need to be integrated in a, in a sacred sort of partnership. It's interesting because when we're younger, we're, we, we more or less have that polarized way of thinking, like a man needs to be a man and a woman needs to be a woman. And as I got older, and you know, learning this in my early 20s to, to 30s, it's like... You got to be both of those things. You got to be in touch with both of those things, you know? Completely. And there's a role for, for women to play in the process as well, right? It's what are you teaching your sons? How are you responding to your partner or men who are showing their emotions? If you are judging them or telling people to suck it up or brush it off or whatever it is, then you're just adding to the problem or the issue um, or the disconnect. So we're all accountable in the same way for this and we can all support one another in it. And I've been blessed with having some really deeply vulnerable conversations with men I've been on dates with who I don't even know that well and see them be emotional and I encourage it. And I tell them how um, attractive it is and how much closer I feel to them because of it and how I applaud their bravery and courage in it because that's 
how I see it. It takes way more courage to show your emotions than to hide them and, and pretend like everything is okay. So uh, I feel as women, we have a role to play as well. We need yeah. to take Maria and duplicate her like a million times and then send them out into the world. Right? Aww. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. You know what I mean? So we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is hooking up with your ex. <laughs> so. Oh, this is, a, this is a juicy one, Jen. Yeah, this is we juicy. We don't want to get down to the tea. Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna spill the tea right now because this I, I see this happen a lot too, you know. Um, and returning back to those old patterns and that toxic relationship and just kind of circling the drain, and all it does is make you feel worse about yourself. Trauma and bonds. Yeah, I just don't understand. I don't understand how why um, people just continually go back to go back to that old pattern. So how do you how do you coach somebody to not hook up with their ex. Cause sometimes, you know, you have a nice conversation and you know, they finally understand you and they, they do, they're like, Oh my gosh, I see why you left me. I was a dick, you know, and I did this, this and that, you know, and then you a feel bonded faking. to them for a second. And then, you know, and then there you are. You're and they're the usually bed. the best in bed, by the way. Yeah. You know, oh, it's just a truth. Hey, I want to be the one to say, but it's true. Yeah. The crazy ones are always the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so tell us about that too. Why, why is that so? <laughs> why does that happen? So people are wanting to reconnect with what was comfortable and what felt good, right? So especially when it's with your ex, you remember a time when you fell in love or when you were deeply connected, when you were not in your current state of suffering um, in your separation or whatever it might be. So yeah, it can completely happen. The temptation is there. Some people, it's not for, the temptation isn't there for everyone. It's definitely been for me, not necessarily with my ex-husband, but with other exes in my life. Um, it was usually like the more toxic, the more drawn I was to just stay in that pattern and yeah. in that cycle. Um, so absolutely no judgment for anyone who's done that that's when you got to kind of step in and remind yourself of why you broke up in the first place. And that going back to someone is usually going to result in the same way it went the first time, which is with an ending with suffering, mm -hmm. not always, you know, I can't blanket statement. I'm sure there's many people who have broken up, gone back together and now have beautiful relationships that they're actively working on. But you know, if this is a repeat pattern for you, you know it, you've probably done it with more than one partner and noticing what's coming up for you in the moment where you are feeling called to maybe spend time with them unnecessarily or yeah, or, or, or give them your body or open your body to them or, 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 or offer them that it's typically you're seeking something that you did not receive and you most likely will not receive it again from that partner. So I would have some kind of an accountability crew, have like an emergency phone line or group chat of mm -hmm. people that you trust be like, um, Jake just messaged me and I'm feeling really called to go hang out with him or whatever uh, it might be. In Jake would do that. That's something a Jake would do. <laughs> Fucking Jake, Jake and Chad. Jake's. <laughs> 
Chad. Definitely Chad. Yeah. Um, and have them support you. And, and maybe what you need is one of your friends to give you a platonic cuddle or just hold you or witness you in, in your pain versus going back to your ex, something that you are no longer in that isn't serving you. Um, or like a platonic bitch lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes yeah, we all love. need a platonic bitch slap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it speaks to like oh, a disconnect gosh. between your heart and your mind, I think, right? Because uh, that, 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 I think like your heart and your mind have to sort of connect, you know? Like, the one thing I know about um, being a healer, and you're a healer, you have a Reiki certification, and we've been in this field for a long time, but I tend to romanticize things, right? You romanticize a relationship, how toxic it is. We have this tendency to really only focus on the really amazing things. Mm -hmm. And we can forgive a lot of, a lot of negative things, a lot of toxic things. Cause we always have, we have this hope that they're going to get better. We have this hope that like, there's going to be sort of brighter pastures and that feels very real for us. And that's, that's a really uh, difficult thing to move out of because you feel like you're not staying true to yourself as a healer by really, really looking at what this person's doing to you you know, from a toxic perspective. That's what I had to do. I had to like sit and really place myself in the trauma of all the toxicity that I was in and realize that, you know, it isn't my responsibility to fix that or heal that in that other person. And that's another thing that I think empaths um, fall really victim to a lot of the time, which is babysitting somebody else, like being a healer to somebody else, like taking their opportunities to heal away from them. I found myself doing that, you know, and having to remove yourself from that feels like you're in a lot of ways, like you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe that speaks to some level of codependency, but having to develop a practice to move yourself away from that is difficult. But once you get to it and you're able to kind of see it for what it is, I, I felt so much freedom after letting that go, you know? Yeah. And I see such a clear parallel with that. And when we're children, right? So as children, we want to love our parents no matter how they're treating us no matter what kind of environment that we're in so we consistently show up with love and then we're disappointed because if we were to give up on our love for our parents and looking to them for security then as a child that would mean death who's going to keep me alive who's going to take oh. care of me right so we that's where we learn it and then we carry it forward into our adult relationships and it's really beautiful what you mentioned, Eric, because being aware of what you want to do and choosing not to is you saying to your inner child and to yourself, I can't heal my stuff with my parents. I can't heal their wounding by staying here and, and, and by being in this. There's deeper work that I need to do and I need to do it on my own time. So let me do that and let me take that space. And Absolutely, I'm very, very sensitive, being very empathetic, huge codependency background. My father was an alcoholic. It was just kind of natural to, to become codependent when you're an addictive, in an addictive household. It's knowing that you cannot save anybody. And I know I sound like a broken record saying that, but they need to choose that for themselves. They need to choose their own healing and especially when it's your partner, you definitely don't want to go down that route because it is not going to create a healthy dynamic um, 
at all. So focus on your own healing. Notice when was the first time that I felt this way in my lifetime. You know, go back to your childhood, do the inner reflection work, see where this all originated, and that will give you more of a sense of what's being asked to heal than what's directly in front of you. Yeah, I I actually um, did some inner child work with a healer here pretty recently, and she did a soul retrieval for me. And um, I found that to be really, really helpful in, um, in severing some of those old attachments. Actually, we had another guest on a long time ago, um, uh, Jameson, and he was talking about how he, he actually needed to separate from his mother because she was holding him back in his, in his relationships with, with women. So um, he did like a conscious meditation where he was actually taking a crystal and severing the umbilical cord like in his mind to detach from his mother so he could kind of move forward as a man. And um, I think that there's a lot of utility in, um, in those types of uh, meditations and um, super helpful in, in kind of cutting those cords so you can move forward. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of inner child work and working with with your inner child and the wisdom that they ca- they carry and looking at your past and, and being with it. And I'm just going to do a mini plug, but it's it's I have a free inner wisdom guide that people can download where you can actually go and take a look at your experience in your childhood and what actually impacted and created your idea of who you are and your personality in some ways. And that's one option, but there are so many limitless ways that you can work with your inner child and understanding how they're currently trying to also influence your decisions as an adult and the more healing you can do around that and yeah and sometimes it takes severing ties and energetic ties and so forth um a lot freer you will feel and a lot more also like level-headed in some ways you'll feel yeah absolutely it's interesting how you know as healers we're not only working on healing ourselves from the sort of trauma that we've experienced but we're really actively healing our ancestors as well. One thing I noticed when I was in these relationships with other women, a lot of these behaviors that I was aware of or be becoming aware of were behaviors that I was taught, you know? You find myself kind of falling into these sort of behaviors that you see, you know, saw your father or your mother sort of participating in. And once we do the work to sort of clear that out, my behavior and the way that I sort of articulated love and expressed it was something that people in my family were able to pick up on through my actions. And I became sort of like this living embodiment of the person that I wanted to, I, I saw myself and wanted to be. It didn't end up being a question about, you know, what my spirituality does, but just embodying that and then them being able to see how it affected me was able to, you know, positively impact them as well. It makes me think of this quote by Marion Williamson where she says, our fear is not that we're inadequate. Our fear is that we're powerful beyond belief. It is in our darkness that most frightens us. It's our light. And that's a really important thing because we're really afraid of the unknown. And I think that's the one thing that happens when we hook up with our exes. We're so comfortable with even complacency. We're so comfortable with repetitive patterns because our neurons are sort of wired around the familiarity of this. And emotionally, it's comfortable. But when you end that, when you, when you let go of that, there's this entire new world that opens up, that scares the shit out of a lot of people because then that means you have to take radical accountability for your own salvation and your own sovereignty and your own happiness. And if you can do that, 
I think that's where the, I think that's where the enlightenment is, you know? That's where all the good stuff is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have a little bit more tea to spill and this is the last drop, okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about people who start to date their ex's friends. Oh. Or maybe family members. <laughs> that's a no, that's a no bueno, Jen. That's a no, no. That's a no, don't do it. Don't do but it. But then you have some of those friends that are just like, Oh well, whatever happened between them happened between them, and I'm like, no, 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 no. It, it, but but could I? I may have the wrong perspective though, right? Maybe that's yeah. Let's ask Maria because yeah. that's that's a tough one. Yeah, I I don't know that there is a right or a wrong way to date and who you date. Of course, it's going to be really uncomfortable to date your ex's friends if you can avoid it please do because it'll probably cause a lot more pain and it'll probably be quite messy. If you feel like this is the person that you were actually meant to be with, there's a crazy connection, you can't stop thinking about it, still don't take action. Go get some second opinions, talk to your therapist, talk to some trusted friends who you know have some wisdom behind them and then talk to your ex about it get I don't you don't necessarily need their blessing I would have asked for for a blessing if I was feeling called for that just out of respect for someone that I was with for a very long time but yeah you're gonna cause I don't want to say you're causing it but it's going to cause some pain so if you want to do that really check in with yourself why do you just want to keep that group of friends do you want to stay in that circle do you want to stay in that energy did you just Probably have these like deep fantasies about this person the whole time you were dating you were with the other person and is it really worth it? So I, I'm not a blanket statement type of person. Like, no, <laughs> don't ever do it. It's a complex question. It is complex and it's situational, but I would, I wouldn't invite it. I wouldn't recommend it by any means. Yeah. <laughs> one star yeah. do not recommend. Yeah. This, this is one, this is one that's been on my mind. Um, obviously the, the quarantine and the pandemic changed the landscape of relationships for a lot of people. Right. I, I remember going on a date, you know, 2015, 2016, and it was a very different environment then than it is now. And once I started going into the dating pool, it, it's hard to navigate how you're able to, to show up as a man with so many limitations. You can't just go to a restaurant. You can't just go and do a lot of the things that people typically do when it comes to new dates, right? So I imagine that's, and I've experienced this negatively impact not only dates, but people in relationships. So the negative side of relationships is, okay, well now people are spending a lot more time with each other within closed doors. So I'm noticing a lot of people that have gone through breakups or relationship difficulty. So what are you, what is your perspective on how to date in this new sort of world that we're in online and then also maybe what are some ways that people can cultivate a healthy relationship under these parameters of like having to be boxed in at home or just so many limitations you know mm. yeah i actually wrote an article for elephant journal about why i love dating during covid and this was kind of the beginning parts of it and now things are slowly opening up but there's still a lot of limitations around it and it actually gives you an opportunity for deeper intimacy with people because there's less of a rush to be in the physical, right? So say you, you are at a, in a place where you don't feel comfortable meeting up in person, or if you are, you rather socially distance or whatever it is, then you're really going to be able to get a sense of this person's personality 
Um, how they're showing up in the middle of a global pandemic is a really great indication of how they deal <laughs> with highly stressful, uncertain, unknown circumstances in life. You know, are they are they bringing a lot of anger forward and frustration? Are they very stuck in their fear? Um, are they even willing to talk about the emotions that are coming up for them? Or are they just kind of disregarding things? So it creates a lot more, I feel like it creates a lot more opportunity for intimacy, a lot more opportunity for, especially for women to feel safe, where you can say, you know, instead of us going on a first date in person, can we have it over a video chat? A lot of women, we always have that underlying fear, right? It's, it's kind of a part of, part of life in some ways. And also dating someone and especially having this pressure of it needs to look a certain way. So we need to go to a restaurant or I need to wine and dine them or I need to impress them is not going to get you the type of connection that you desire. Show up with your presence and your vulnerability and your authenticity and watch how beautifully your connection can grow or not. But at least, at least you'll know pretty quickly. Um, so I personally think it's, it's great. It's obviously not the ideal, but there's, there's some good parts of, of dating during these times. And yeah. You can get really creative nowadays. I I knew a person that went on a date where they got their food to go and then they went onto the the roof of a parking structure, uh, that was in the parking structure, a structure of a Home Depot and just like watched like the mountains and the sunset together. On a first date. I mean, that would be awesome. I've had so many shitty first dates. <laughs> you got to you gotta get her to agree with it, though. You're like, hey, you want to go to, uh, you know, out the, the Home Depot, Depot parking, parking structure with me? <laughs> and hang out on top of this roof and eat some food. Yeah. How's like, that what? sound? <laughs> you got to be master at your craft for that one. I'm too cute. Well, Maria, you have been such a pleasure and a wealth of knowledge. And I know that our listeners are definitely identifying with a lot of things that you had to say. So what is your final like parting gift for us, your it, final piece of dating advice. It'll be one of two. Cause I have a question. I have a question right after that one. Okay. Jen. Okay. I know Eric had also asked about people who are in households together and facing all of that during the pandemic. So maybe my final parting advice could be a part of that. It's If you're dating, if you're in a relationship, if you are just relating and connecting with people in general, allow your truth and your authenticity to come forward. Be as unfiltered but respectful as possible because you are not helping anybody by putting a filter on it or making things seem like they're better than they are, whether you've been with someone for 30 years, for six months, for a couple of weeks, that authenticity, that truth will allow you to connect more deeply. And if it's going to take you deeper into your relationship, great. If it's going to bring things to the surface for you to work through, also great. Um, but I would say that's my, my biggest piece and do it without self-judgment and do it without judging that there's a right way or a wrong way. And that a year and a half stuck in the same house together should have brought you closer or whatever it is. Um, there's so much, there's so much growth in, in 
in being able to show up authentically and being vulnerable and showing your, your true self. So I know that's not the most mind blowing advice, I but don't know, I my mind's pretty blown right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Look no, what happened I mean, to Jen's hair. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that before you said that. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Be Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. And I wanted to ask you too, this is another question. This is something for me because uh, I'm interested in this, but what is God, source, and love? I'm going to lump them all into one category together. What does God, source, and love mean to you? Mm, for me, for me, it means unconditional love. That's, and I know you, you're kind of loving, uh, lump, loving, lumping them all together. It's a higher power. It's a higher knowing. It's what allows me to feel like I can trust more in this world. I also feel like we are all God source, unconditional love, and that's all within ourselves as well. Yeah, that's a really huge question. Huge question. (laughs) Just casually sneak in there at the end. But um, I think one of the biggest things that I realized over the past little while is Instead of putting source and God out there, I've brought them and recognized them within myself. And I, I try and help my clients do the same. And that's allowed me to feel a lot more at peace and loved and centered in my own journey. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us, Maria. Thank She's you. She's your last so name right fun. one of these days. Yeah. So, <laughs> Chaz for, for those that are listening, you could actually find her on her website, mariajuswin.com, right? She actually also is the host of uh, the You Relationship Podcast, which I've actually listened to. She's got her episodes on Apple Podcasts. I imagine they're on other platforms as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you want more relationship advice, she goes over the whole f- full spectrum of, of things, all things spiritual, all things heart-based. She's a heart guide, of course. It's going to happen. If you guys want to check out her episodes, definitely tune in. You can find her at mariajuzman.com. You go on her uh, IG, which is, uh, there's, and then there's Wisdom Within, right? Yeah, so my IG is Maria Juzwin, J-U-Z-W-I-N. And then I also have the um, Wisdom From Within Inner Child Guide. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper into the wisdom of your inner child, um, then you can download that for free on my website. Yeah, she's got a lot of really great content on her IG. I looked at all her videos. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. She's got a lot of great wisdom on there. She's got quotes, videos. She's really intimately connected with her life, and she does a really good job of expressing that. So if you guys want to check it out, definitely check it out. Thank you again, Maria. Thanks, Maria. It's been a blessing having you on. Thank you guys for tuning in to Buy Nobody's Podcast. Make sure to leave a, a like and review. You can also find the podcast on YouTube. Like and subscribe if you're on there watching over the videos. If you guys want to check us out on IG, we're on Divine Nobody's Podcast. Or you can go to Divine Nobody, divine-nobodyspodcast.com and uh, do all the things. If you have any questions, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can go to divinenobodies at gmail.com. I've got to do the plugs. It's just one of those things plugs. that happen. Got to do them all. Yeah. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, definitely visit Maria's page. Give her a like. Give her a follow. Do all the things. Namaste, friends. Namaste.